You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, the 5th of September. Uh, we start today by reflecting on the awful news that hit the racing world on Saturday afternoon that young rider Jack de Bromhead had lost his life in a fall at a beach race, pony race at Glen Bay in County Kerry. He was just 13 years old and the son of Henry and Heather de Bromhead and widely known in the racing community, particularly in his native Ireland. The Daily Mirror's David Yates with me this morning. David, this is a tragedy that has understandably reverberated uh, far beyond simply the confines uh, of Irish racing. What are your thoughts this Monday morning? Well, like everybody else in racing within our community, my thoughts are with the De Bromhead family. Uh, it's such shocking and terribly sad news that, as you say, it filtered through late on Saturday afternoon that uh, there had been an accident. It was at the, the pony race meeting at Glen Bay in County Kerry, as you say. Um, Jack suffered a fatal fall and uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene. It's uh, something that is incredibly difficult, really, for most of us to, to deal with. So one can only try to imagine what the family have been through this weekend. Um, Jack was 13 years old. He was a successful jockey this summer on the pony racing circuit. Uh, there is a very beautifully written and uh, heartbreaking to read tribute penned by the de Bromhead family. Uh, I'm not going to read that out, Nick. It's uh, accessed via the website rip.ie. I will just say that uh, it refers to a, a, a one-of-a-kind child who touched our lives in the best possible way. In circumstances like this, there's very little I can add, um, except to say that uh, within the entire racing community, we extend all our deepest and sincerest sympathy to the De Bromhead family at this m most incredibly difficult time. Uh, Peter Maloney is uh, a bloodstock agent, consigner, um, a racing manager, but most importantly, a, a family friend to Henry and, and Heather De Bromhead and was at, at school with Henry uh, 40 years ago. Um, Peter, thank you for talking to me this morning. I wonder if you could share some of your your memories of, of, of Jack with us. Oh, sure, listen, uh, one of the amazing things about you know, this game we're involved in is uh, you know, the horses and honeysuckle and, you know, how they bring people together. And, you know, as I said, I've known Henry for very nearly 40 years now, but... Um, We've become closer and closer over the last few years and uh, got to know his family really well. And Jack was a huge part of the whole Honeysuckle story and for us. Uh, and um, just a, a lovely, lovely kid, always smiling. You know, we're going to miss him so much now for the next season from a personal level. Um, you know, and he's pony racing you know he just absolutely lived for that loved every minute of it um he was so keen um 
Henry was telling the story last year about, you know, how they were. He he spent most of his time on the back of the sofa at home, riding finishes, you know, practicing, and uh, all they could hear is whack 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 as he was riding finishes. So they said they better go buy him an X. So they bought him an equisizer for for Christmas last year, um, and uh, we were all together there um, a few months ago, and you know it was just lovely. Remember, you hit Rachel giving Jack a, a lesson on the equisizer. Um, you know, he's just, uh, just a lo- lovely kid, you know, loved life. Henry was saying yesterday, you know, he just he packed in so much to his young life. He was, on, you know, 13 years of age, but he probably had done more in his 13 years than most people would have done in, in twice that time. Um, just all action. Um, just, just a lovely kid, lovely kid. And Peter, it's just been announced that Pony racing will be suspended for the remainder of the season as a mark of respect to Jack. Uh, this tragedy felt so keenly amongst everybody in in the sport in in Ireland and beyond. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, well, first of all, you know, you've got children of your own. Um, I've got children. Anybody with children, you know, you when you hear something like this, you know, you just you know you're looking at your own kids and you really feel the pain it's unimaginable we, you know no one can imagine what heather and henry are going through um um and uh, you know the, the Bromheads are such a popular family they're such a lovely family and everyone in racing um you know are mad about them and uh, it's just a huge shock um, it's a huge shock and we all feel i was talking to henry just on, on the phone this morning actually and uh, he was walking down through the yard and uh, a, a huge group of national hunt jockeys had turned up to ride out this morning to show solidarity and help and uh, he was hugely moved by that um and it's uh, it's just a sign of what a wonderful industry we're involved in. Everyone pulls together. Um, you know we're so lucky to be involved in this game. Peter Maloney there, reflecting on the all too short life of Jack de Bromhead, who died in a pony race on Saturday in Glen Bay in County Kerry. And Peter reflecting there that, however unimaginably hard the times are, that. Horse racing is a sport that has the capacity to to produce ties that, that really bind, and good horses particularly so. And on this show every day, we try to, to showcase talent from all over the world, equine talent from all over the world. And that's why we now need to linger a little while over just how brilliant Flightline might be. The horse who demolished his field in the TVG Pacific Classic at Del Mar on Saturday and has had everybody in world racing talking about where he now sits in the pantheon of true greats. And inevitably, comparisons in terms of raw ability have been drawn with Baid for all the two are most unlikely ever to meet one another on any kind of a race course. If you weren't there, you desperately wanted to be there, and you can't turn back the clock now. You can only hope that you will be able to see Flightline in the flesh again, either in the Breeders' Cup or if indeed they do keep him in training sometime next year. One man who definitely was always going to be there um, because it's his backyard is Jay Privman, who for four decades has been one of the leading turf writers in the United States and coincidentally uh, announced that he was 
stepping aside, I'm not. I, I don't think you'll ever retire, Jay. Will you? But this was you. Th- this this might be your your valedictory race for the daily racing form. Let's put it that way. Uh, it, it would be a nice way to to go out, Dick. Uh, yes. No. I I am retiring from the daily racing form. It's been a fun run, and and to see a performance like that on Saturday was really really special. You're the man with context. You've seen just about every big race in in Southern California and most of the big races across the United States in those four decades. Where does that performance rank for you? In terms of a single performance by a single individual, it's at the top. Uh, To me, the the most comparable one in Southern California was actually in the same Pacific Classic only nearly two decades ago when Candy Ride won it. Similar kind of horse. Uh, It was his sixth start and he was undefeated but he had started his career in south america uh, and he won that race over a, a top quality pair of medallia d'oro and pleasantly perfect but not in the manner in which Flightline won on saturday winning off by nearly 20 lengths earning a buyer speed figure that was the highest one in 18 years uh, superior to even what candy ride was assigned back for his performance uh and just making proper mile and a quarter horses like country grammar and express train look like they were twenty five thousand dollar claimers not because they are it's just that's the the different level that Flightline was performing under on saturday uh, there was that magical moment wasn't there with six furlongs of the race run where he he executed a move flavian or the horse took him in a manner that you simply don't see that defies orthodoxy and of course it had people invoking the the 73 belmonts uh, it, it is it fair to, to to invoke that do you think i i thought so because that honestly nick is what went through my mind as it was happening was that that's what it was he was he was widening on the field he was doing it under no duress he was doing it while clicking off very fast fractions and there were really good horses struggling to even maintain the, the deficit, let alone what turned out to be, watch the deficit continue to increase as Flightline drew off. So I think it's a fair comparison. Obviously, it wasn't a triple crown race and a horse of a lifetime uh, that Secretariat was winning the triple crown in the United States after a 25-year drought. But I think to your point, it, it is a fair analogous comparison in terms of what was happening at that juncture of the race. Uh, of course, what, what isn't a fair comparison is that, as you point out, the, the backstory of both horses, because Secretariat in, in little over two years ran no fewer than 21 times, and Flightline hasn't even run half a dozen times yet. Do you believe it's, it's actually on that he goes on and runs next year, or is that a flight of fancy, no pun intended? I think it's somewhere in between those two. Uh, There's definitely some strong sentiment among the ownership group in some quarters for him to continue. I spoke to Costa Ronas after the race yesterday, and he is John Sadler's main client. Uh, This was the fourth Pacific Classic that they've won in the last five years. The previous three wins were all Ronas-owned entities whereas this as you know is a wide-ranging partnership that includes west point thoroughbreds and sienna farm and most notably the racing arm of lane's end farm which is where this horse is going to go to stud when he's done but you know costa who kept 
accelerate in training uh, after he probably could have retired him. And, and even Stellar Wind, the champion mayor of his, he was extremely bullish on wanting to continue to race this horse next year. Now, whether that sentiment wins out at the end of the year, after he hopefully does continue to perform well in the in the Breeders Cup Classic, which is his next scheduled start, uh, you know that remains to be seen because obviously there's many factors that are going to go into this. But the vote, at least from the Ronas camp, is to go on with him next year at age five. And as you say, a horse with so little experience, you followed this horse not only in his racing, but you followed him in his training, which has not exactly been trouble-free. How fundamentally sound do you think he is? Well, I think he's better now. Obviously, he wasn't early on, and that's why it took him so long to even debut, uh, not until April of his three-year-old year, and then it took him a long time to get over that race until he ran his second start, which was a year ago at this time at, at Del Mar. And then you'll remember there was a bit of clamoring of people hoping he would run in the Breeders' Cup sprint off of that sprint allowance win at, at Del Mar. But his connections wanted to take the long view. They felt that being by Tappet, and those horses tend to run a little hot, uh, and obviously a horse who'd had issues early on that prevented him from racing until April of his three-year-old year and only twice by September of his three-year-old year that they felt that running him back in the Breeders' Cup was not best to his long-term objectives. And I think they've been proven right on that front because we've seen a brilliant performance in the Malibu. He was scheduled to run in March of this year in the San Carlos at Santa Anita as, as a bridge to the Met Mile, and he got ill and had to miss that race, and so he came into the Met Mile off a near six-month layoff, and you saw that performance. It was spectacular. And then we saw something even better than that on Saturday here. Uh, I think he's physically better able to take his races. But when you run that fast and that brilliantly, I do think horses of this era that are of that kind do need more time between starts to get back to the level that his, their connections hope they're going to continue to maintain. So it's the Breeders' Cup Classic next. He's got a, a resounding victory in, in New York in the Met Mile to his name. Would you have any concerns about him replicating what he could do at Del Mar at Keeneland or not? I wouldn't. Uh, he, I, when he went to New York, I thought they did everything they could, the Speaker's Corner camp, to try and make things uncomfortable for him the first part of the race with the inside draw that Flightline had that day, and it just didn't matter. He was too much worse for that horse and everybody else's. He's pretty much been for everybody uh who he's run against so far in his career uh so he he's run at two different tracks in southern california a track in new york and that doesn't seem to be anything that would be of concern uh, at this point so uh, he just seems like he's one of those outliers that can do anything and they're very rare uh and you know when they come along it's pretty exciting to watch them perform I wanted to ask you a little bit about just the feeling around Del Mar today, Jay, and, and the buzz about the place as you draw to the close of this of this meet. The uh, I, I think the buzz is just everybody still kind of in awe of what they saw yesterday and, and understanding that it was, and I don't say this flippantly, the best performance in the history of this racetrack, which opened... 85 years ago when you know, Bing Crosby stood there at the at the gates and let the first customers in. <laughs> There's been a lot of good horses who have run here over the years, including Seabiscuit, but I think that performance stands as the 
the top right now. I don't know that we'd ever see anything that could come along and usurp that. But that's kind of been the, the buzz today is like, my God, weren't we lucky to see what we saw yesterday? For, for you personally, do you feel do you feel quite quite emotional? Do you feel quite overcome by what you've seen in the context of what you've been reporting on for for those four decades? It, it, honestly, yes. Uh, to see something like that, you know, you you and I we've done this a long time, me longer than you. Uh, but when we see stuff like this. You know, we know how rare it is, and it's it's why we're in the business is is to see these kinds of performances. So that's what keeps you going, and and it's 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 the kind of things that make us fall in love with the sport and continue our love for the sport. And yeah, it, it did. Uh, just watching him come to the wire yesterday it was I felt kind of like I did when I saw American Pharaoh win the Triple Crown. I just put my binoculars down and I just wanted to take it in with my own eyes, not looking through the binoculars, and just sort of savoring those last. 150, 200 yards of the race. Uh, I, I did that when American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown to end that long dry spell that we had here in the States of, of Triple Crown sweeps. And I, I felt that way yesterday. And it's, you know, it was it was chilling to watch in, in a good way. Just the kind of thing that really makes you go, boy, this is why I fell in love with the sport. And this is why I, I continue to want to uh, enjoy it for as long as I can be here. And I realize that w- what, a lot of what I do on, on this show and a lot of what we've done over the last few years with, with Breeders' Cup broadcasts and so forth is trying to make the world a smaller place and try and get each other engaged in, in what goes on in Europe and the United States. And that's that's certainly happening. But, of course, what it does is it, it, it promotes discussions like the one we've had today, which is who's the best horse in the world because we're in the presence of an outstanding one in Europe and an outstanding one in North America. Can you ever get into those into those debates or are the two disciplines simply too different to compare? I, I think they're too different to compare because of the surfaces. It's just impossible to compare, you know, a, a brilliant grass horse like you have now uh, with Bade to a, a flight line. They're just completely different kinds of animals. I don't think flight line would, I don't think it would be a fair fight if you put flight line going a mile and a quarter at, at Ascot in October, just as I don't know how it would work out uh, for Baid to come over here and, and run in the Breeders' Cup Classic against Flightline. So it's they're, they're completely different horses, and it's too bad that they really will never run against each other. But there's also, I think, the, the appreciation that when you see something like that, the best at what they do, you, you, you I'm sure, got what is rightly considered the best horse since Frankel running over there. And, and this horse here might be the best horse we've seen, who knows, since Ghost Zapper or even going back to Spectacular Bid. Jay, thanks so much. Uh, great that you could share um, what it felt like to be there yesterday at, at Del Mar. I'm, I'm very envious. I look forward to seeing you very soon. And happy, I'm not going to say happy retirement, but happy... <laughs> Well, it's not. You're like Serena Williams. You're just evolving away from the daily racing form. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm, I, I've enjoyed what I've done. I'm, I'm not going to leave the game, but I'm certainly not going to be uh, working on a on a deadline on a daily basis anymore either, Nick. And I appreciate you having me on. As you know, I'm extremely fond of you and have loved working on shows with you over the years. And I'm very appreciative of you having me on for this as well. Jay, thanks so much. Thank you, Nick. Daily Racing Forms, uh, Jay Pribman there. David Yates from the Daily Mirror is still with me. 
Dave, that was quite simply one of the most sensational performances from any racehorse I've ever seen. And as I said to Jay, I, I just wish I'd I'd been there in person to see it. Timeform began doing American ratings in 1993. He's the first horse uh, to have a rating of over 140. Only four horses in European racing history have got above 140, uh, according to the timeform number crunchers. They're Brigadier Gerard, Tudor Minstrel, both on 144, Seabird 145, and of course, Frankel on 147. Uh, I'd, I'd like to borrow from uh, Timeform's American expert, Jake Price, who said there were shades of secretariat in the 1973 Belmont in that performance at Del Mar on Saturday. Well, uh, we know from our own study of American racing history, Secretariat won the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths. I believe you said, Nick, uh, earlier this summer in the trade paper that that performance will stand forever as an emblem of perfection in the thoroughbred. Uh, so for the experts at Timeform to uh, to compare the two performances is mm. uh, is some endorsement to uh, Flightline and that win on Saturday. Yeah, and then Jay Pridman saying the very thought went through his head as they as they turned out of the out of the back. And of course, I, I made the point to Jay there that the the one thing slightly diluting that comparison is that Secretariat ran twenty one times in just over two years, and um, the one mark against Flightline, you could say, if it, if it's not too churlish to say that, is that his his racing career has been marked out by the infrequency of of his appearances. And let's hope we see him in the classic and then see him again next year as connections are promising. The uh, the flight line versus Baid, who is the best horse in the world debate, is perfect for the for the for the age, really. Um, but it can never really be concluded in, in its entirety, can it? No, and and in in many ways, that's the that's the beauty of those comparisons, isn't it? Is that they can never be settled once and for all. Timeform have Baid on 137, Flightline on 143. One should say this is just merely a, a measurement of the horse's performances, not of their overall merit. We're inclined to look at that with something of a smile when uh, the Anoraks uh, debate as to who might be the superior of two horses like this. But it's very much the grist of the mill, isn't it, in, in the way that we talk about horse racing performances and as i say the beauty is that we'll never know there's a little footnote to this in that ron flatter from horse racing nation rang william haggis for a quote yesterday and dave i think haggis's quote takes us forward as regards baid's possible participation in the arc it, it's subtle but there's definitely a press up eight days ago uh william haggis put out a statement to say that uh, as long as the ground is decent at launch there is a strong chance uh, that Baid would take in the arc. And yeah, this this does go uh, a step or even two beyond that, doesn't it? To say that strong chance has, has been upgraded to will run at Longchamp. So yes, indeed, that, that does reflect, I think, a, a slight tightening of that position. Those of us who are desperate to see Baid at uh, Longchamp on October the 2nd, now praying for, for decent ground that afternoon because it looks like that will be a reality and and i think when you when you think about the position directly after the uh, the judgment international it does represent quite a bit of movement we're continuing our look back at the european group ones with a with a view to the arc 
Dave, there was more drama than perhaps we'd anticipated in the Grosser Price von Baden Group 1 with the defeat of Torquator Tasso at the hands of Mendocino. Mendocino ridden by Torquator Tasso's usual jockey, René Pichulek, who was claimed by the winning owner. That left Frankie de Tori to take the ride on Torquator Tasso. Uh, what happened? Frankie de Tori, the runner-ups jockey, afterwards was upbeat about his prospects of reversing that form on rain softened ground at Longchamp on October the 2nd, something, of course, that we don't want if we want Baid uh, to run in Paris, which we most certainly do. Um, he also got a 14-day ban for hitting Torquata Tasso at one time above the permitted limit. Uh, this will not rule Dottori out of uh, the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. The last two weekends now, we've had Ross Coakley and now Frankie Dottori, who have been hit with draconian punishments for pretty trivial uh, transgressions of, of whip rules. I wonder to what extent, looking down the line, uh, jockeys will think, well, I'd love to ride your horse in Germany in a Group 1, but the risks of going there and going one over the limit and being hit with a two-week ban that's going to cost me many thousands of pounds, those two things don't balance up, so it might be better to get somebody else. There's another interesting news story to come out of this, which is Dottori's enthusiasm to go back and ride Torquato Tasso in the arc, for which he's just, by the skin of his teeth, when looking at this ban, just uh, available. Um, presumably means he doesn't think he's going to ride anything else in the race. Yeah, that's that's a, an, another uh, strand from it. Uh, in speaking to connections of Emily Up, John, over the last couple of weeks, of course, uh, it, it was a, a very frustrating summer uh, for connections of the John and Thady Gosden trained filly. Uh, she was beaten in the Oaks at Epsom. She then couldn't go to the Irish equivalent because of a bird strike. She then over-raced and, and ran way below form in the King George at Ascot at the end of July. And um, the the idea then was that she would be put away for an autumn campaign, the Prix-Vermey at Longchamp this Sunday next, and then the Arc. Well, it's quite interesting. I know that uh, Dottori and John Gosden have had something of a of an up and down summer. I would have thought that Frankie would be mindful of not uh, rattling the Clarehaven cage by declaring himself free to what ride the the reigning Arc winner if there had been a possibility of Emily Upjohn going uh, to that race. So that's something I should think we'll learn more about in the uh, next day or two. It, it seems like Frankie isn't going to ride uh, very elegant. Speaking to uh, Francis uh, Henri Graffard last week, he, he seemed resigned to that, but hadn't come up with a, uh, a jockey uh, for the ex-Australian mayor as yet. Again, I'm sure that position will be clarified in the coming days. We know that Frankie de Tori will ride a filly in the final classic in Great Britain this season. Hascoy, the unbeaten Hascoy. We we teed this up on the pod a couple of weeks ago that she might run in the ledger, and it seems that that, that could well be the case. You did indeed tee this up a couple of weeks ago. So uh, big props to the Nick Luck Daily, if that's what young people still say, which they almost certainly don't. A really interesting addition to what is already, I think, a fascinating St. Ledger. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good news that, and as you say, it was it was flagged up first on the NLD a couple of weeks ago. Dave, in France yesterday in the Prix de Moulin, the Group 1 Prix de Moulin, we lost a classic winner. Caribus went into the race a heavy favourite. Uh, he suffered a, a heavy fall, which was a, which was a fatal one. Uh, the race was won by Dreamlope, a very impressively 
for Ed Walker. But as one observer said to me today, they turned over the television very swiftly. That horse crossed the line. Yeah, the the race was was blighted by the loss of Caribus, uh, victory in the 2000 Guineas and the St. James's Palace Stakes, uh, his two career group ones. He was making his ground on the run to the final furlong as, at the same time as Dream Loper when uh, he suffered that fatal leg injury and couldn't be saved. Uh, William Buick did get up and was okay afterwards, I'm sure, very severely shaken. Um, it was a, a a really awful incident to watch, uh, and it blighted what had looked a, a, a fascinating Group 1 going into it. Dream Loper returned to France and is now a, a two-time Group 1 winner in that country. Of course, uh, she had won over nine furlongs in the Prix d'Ispahan uh, back in May. And I think now the Breeders' Cup is on her agenda at Keeneland at the start of November. As to Caribus, Dave, I, I, there were just a couple of times in his career where I thought, we were in the presence of, you know, a, a horse that we were going to getting getting all the superlatives out for. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the Royal Lodge, as you say, that the defeat was the moment when we really woke up to Caribus's brilliance because it, it was clearly inexperience that that cost him that day. It, talking to Charlie Appleby afterwards, and I, I remember this really clearly. Um, when a, a a horse loses his or her unbeaten record in a group two race, you would normally approach the trainer and find them downcast. And of course, afterwards, Charlie Appleby was extremely upbeat and we all knew why, because despite that defeat in the Royal Lodge, it, it unearthed uh, a, a real equine talent. And as you say, he built on that in the 2000 guineas at Newmarket at the end of April. Um Yesterday, uh, he went to uh, Longchamp on the back of that uh, defeat at, at Deauville and hopes were that uh, he would get his career back on track and that we would see him again in the autumn. And I'm very sorry that that won't be the case now. Happier times over the weekend for trainer Owen Burrows, who added another Group 1 to an already very productive season, courtesy of the sprinter Minzal at Haydock Park. The ground was very fast, uh, controversially so, but in truth, uh, Clark of the course, Kirkland Tellwright, could only look at the weather forecast, which was telling him he was going to get lots of rain. He didn't, the ground was slick, and the performance was very good from a horse who'd been there or thereabouts in top-level sprints during the course of the season. For Burrows, it was a significant victory as well. Another one in the silks of Shadwell, the colours of his late uh, employer, Sheikh Hamdan al-Maktoum. This is Burroughs' first season as a, a public rather than simply a private trainer to Shadwell, so it matters perhaps more. I asked him uh, what the secret was, he felt, to Minzal's success, impressive success, in the Sprint Cup on Saturday. I think, you know, obviously he was unfortunate at the end of his two-year-old career uh, season as such that he, he injured himself in the box. So, you know, we didn't get him back till late last year. Um, you know, literally had a prep two weeks before Champions Day and, you know, ran a massive race to, to be placed that day. Um, and I think, you know, we have to remember he, he's a lightly raced horse and, and these sprints, they you just take a bit of time to, to 
get tuned in, you know. Uh, Jim touched on it on Saturday in an interview that, you know, he was just half missing a beat and, you know, then you're a row further back than ideal and, you know, and it's hard to hard to make up that ground in these top, top races. So, um, I feel just obviously racing, you know, racing in these in these you know, top races has just put an edge on him, you know. Um, and, you know, once he jumped on Saturday and was just up behind the leaders, he, look, you're never overconfident. But I thought that's that's the perfect position. That's exactly where we wanted to be. And that, that didn't quite happen in France. We wanted to be in that position, you know, in Deauville. And, and he was just a row back further than ideal um, from just stepping a fraction slow. So... Yeah, I think he, you know, he's promised to put in a performance like that, and I'm thrilled that he he did it on Saturday. And in France, you were beaten by Highfield Princess, who came up and bolted up in the in the Nunthorpe. But it, it, the form makes sense of the Maurice de Geese, doesn't it? Oh, massively, exactly. Um, you know, take nothing away from her. She's a she's an amazing filly. You know, she she does it at five, six, six and a half, seven. Um, and I thought she she was. You know, heck of a performance in the, in the Nunthorpe. So as you say, the form was was stacking up well for him, and you know, as I say, thrilled that he, he got the job done there on uh, on Saturday. I mean, he's pretty versatile himself. As you showed him, you you win that lightning fast ground at Haydock over six. You you've probably got pace for for a little bit shorter as well. What are you minded to do with him now? So, look, he, he is a little bit sort of jarred up after Saturday, so we won't be able to, you know, we'll be just steady away now for a, a week or two. Uh, obviously, always the plan was to go to Ascot. Um, so, look, we'll, we'll just mind him now, you know, monitor him over the next week, 10 days, and see how he is. And, then, you know, I can't see that the plan would change much from Ascot. Uh, but as I say, we will just have to keep a, keep a close eye on him now over the next week, 10 days. Mm, I, yeah, I, 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 the ground was very quick. I'm just looking at his profile as, a, as an entire son of Memas. He's clearly got some stallion value as well. Is that, is that playing on everybody's mind? Exactly. Look, you know, as you say, he, he's, uh, you know, a son of Memas, who's a Group 2 winner, Group 3 winner. He's been Group 1 placed at 2, 3 and 4. And then he went and put a performance like that in. So, um, yeah, he, he's got huge stallion potential, hasn't he? So, yeah, we won't, you know, we'll make sure we get it right with him. Yeah, I'm not, I, listen, I, you had you had misfortune earlier in the season with Hookham after his Group 1 win. I, I'm not trying to retire Minzal, but... Um, you don't have to work, be a genius to work out that we, we might be running out of real estate. Exactly, that's it. You know, we're getting to that time of the year, so uh, yeah, we we certainly won't be risking anything. You know, um, he's a very valuable horse. So uh, yeah, as I say, it. Um, it it will will be a lot of a lot of discussion, and look, he, he'll tell us. You know, Owen Burrows, who's had a a really really creditable season. Um, particularly given how much pressure he's been under, and particularly Dave Yates, given that he he was without the services of his stable star after that victory in the Coronation Cup. Yeah, this was a a, a season for Owen Burrows that was absolutely pivotal, and I don't really think it could have gone much better. Um, the the downside, obviously, was Hookham's injury as after he'd won the the Coronation Cup at Epsom in June, but to win another group one over six furlongs with Minzal uh, was a, a great achievement by the stable. Remember, it was 
March 2021, the passing of, of Sheikh Hamdan. Since he began training in 2016, Owen Burroughs had been a, a private trainer to Shadwell. At the beginning of this year, the stable had to open its doors to the public, and that's why it was such a, a pivotal season this year. It's gone extremely well, and for all that uh, Hookham isn't around at the moment on the racetrack, uh, this victory is a, a reminder of Owen Burroughs' talents, and it's a very timely one because the big money yearling sales uh, will start in the next few weeks. And so for the stables to get a second group one with a different type of horse uh, winning at the top level for the fifth time was a, a very timely triumph for Owen Burroughs and his team. Dave, in 24 hours time, we will know the identity of the, the new prime minister. Uh, and Barring some enormous shock, it's going to be Liz Truss at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, where she has been most recently in the role of foreign secretary. Her press officer has been Greg Swift. Now, Greg Swift is about to take up a role at the BHA. Yeah, indeed. He is uh, to become the BHA's Director of Communications and Corporate Affairs. Now, um, this is more than just an industry story because more than ever, we need links between racing and government. We've known that over the last couple of years going through COVID and now emerging uh, from COVID. Uh, obviously, the... Um, the gambling review is imminent and and racing and betting's position within society uh, is at the forefront of, of our minds and our concerns. Now, as you say, Greg Swift has a background in government. He's worked with Liz Truss, who, of course, is very likely to be uh, revealed as the new prime minister. He's also worked with Theresa May in the past, so he He's worked across the, the political spectrum in the Conservative Party. He's also been uh, the assistant editor of the Daily Express. Don't hold that against him, folks. What we can glean from that is obviously that we hope that this will mean the communication between racing and 10 Downing Street will be relatively smooth. From my position as a quote-unquote newspaper man, it, it's it's also interesting that, uh, that, that Greg Swift has a background in papers. So it's it's a very interesting appointment. And, you know, certainly working for Red Top, the, the, the industry stories are ones that are, I tend to give sort of a little more than a passing glance at with regard to putting them in the paper. But certainly this is more than just an industry story. Um, I hope that it will be a help to the horse racing industry in the months and years that follow. Right. I'm I'm going to go for a, a big price horse, which will be a, a shock to many listeners of the Nick Luck Daily uh, when I uh, come up with my tips. 8.30 at Newcastle, number 12, just another. A horse who has a record of one win and two victories over five furlongs at Newcastle prior to a disappointment over course and distance last time. That was in a better race than this, though, and he drops in grade. I think he's of interest, and he's a big price. Best price, uh, 20 to 1. 8.30 at Newcastle. Selection is number 12, just another. David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. As always, we will see you again tomorrow. That was Monday, the 5th of September. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.